Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Okay, so George Christensen, I I'm actually really, really honored that you even emailed, let alone now we've managed to make a time. Um, But can we just start off uh, for my listeners who maybe are not so versed in the political side of things, um, who you are and what you do? Well, thanks so much, Renee. Thank you for inviting me on to your uh, show here. Um, Who am I? I'm George Christensen. (laughs) Uh, I'm a fellow Christian for starters, uh, you know, and I should say that uh, first and foremost, because um, we can talk about identity. There's a lot of identity politics these days, but our identity is one in Christ. So uh, that's that's for starters. Um, I uh, am a journalist originally by trade. I became a politician. Um, I've been in parliament now, federal parliament for 11 years. Before that, I did a bit of a stint for six years as a local government councillor, and now I'm I'm on the way out. I've actually announced that I'm not standing again at the next election for the seat of Dawson, which I've represented for the last 11 years. That's up in North Queensland. Um, and so that's coming to an end. I'm also a father uh, and, a, and a husband. I've got a beautiful wife and a beautiful uh, a little girl, 19 months old. So uh, I'm enjoying that uh, immensely right now, immensely. You're just at the start. I've got three kids and my oldest is about to turn 21, my girl. I'm telling you, it goes like that. Yeah, well, uh, I hope it doesn't go like that because I worked out, I think I'm going to be 60 when she turns uh, 20 or something like that, 18 or something anyway. Um, uh, I hope it doesn't go like that because I don't want to hit 60 anytime soon. <laughs> well, that's probably a really good point. But look, at least she's going she's gonna to glean from all your wisdom because, you know, by the time you're 60, you'll have so much wisdom to tell her at her 21st birthday. <laughs> Hopefully. I'll also have some embarrassing photos, no doubt, that I'll be able to show her. <laughs> yes, my daughter's got a few coming tomorrow. She doesn't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so actually, talking about my daughter, this is the reason mm. that I actually came across uh, you. I'd heard of your name probably more on a national level. I didn't mm. realise that you were based in the same state as me, you right. being in Sakai, me being in Brisbane. Um, but I first emailed you a couple of months ago because as people on this podcast would know, um, there were 11,000 people that we know of that was stuck outside of Queensland and couldn't get back. And my daughter was one of them. And for people that were living their lives and going about their lives, they would have had no idea. Um, yeah. But for us, it, it was terrible. Like it, was it really was. And um, I couldn't do much to get her back, but I thought I'll do what I can and I'll, uh, and I'll podcast and tell people's stories, which mm. I did. And your name Good. came up. Your name came up over and over again as somebody that all of us were emailing all these different politicians like help, help, help. You were the only one who not only replied to people, I know that there are some people that I spoke to that you actually called and spoke to. And I just want to say thank you for that because from a mum, from me, I know how much that would have meant to all of those people. So Mm -hmm. I I actually wanted to honour you and say thank you for your work. I know that it's not easy what you do, but um, I really do. um, I just wanted to say thank you on behalf of all of us. 
Well, thank you very much for that. Uh, my um, my staff here in my office, where I'm talking to you from at the moment, uh, they um, they also responded to a lot of those emails, so I got to pass that thanks on to them as well. Um, but yeah, we literally got swamped. I mean, this is how extensive this crisis was, and I do call it a crisis, a man-made crisis, because the crisis for all of these people wasn't the virus that has a 0.27% infection fatality rate. The crisis was the response, uh, the closure of borders, and it's been far worse than that. Um, but uh, look, uh, I didn't, I wasn't able to get back to everyone. We actually got so swamped with people coming and emailing for help that uh, I actually had to employ someone else just to do emails full time and check emails. So yeah. I was just not able to get back to everyone, but I did get back to people that I could. Um, some heartbreaking stories, and um, sorry, Renee, if I get a bit uh, cross and angry about it, but uh, you know the 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 heartlessness that was that was obviously on display uh, from the Queensland government and from other state governments, quite frankly, uh, over these border closures, which were nothing more. They, they weren't a safety valve. It wasn't some safety blanket that was there for us. What this was about was political expediency. And, uh, and, you know, um, scoring political points. And it's actually a disgusting period in our nation's history, a disgusting period in our state's history, where, where um, people were denied the right to see dying parents, dying loved ones. People were denied the right to attend funerals. Parents were denied the right to attend uh, the children's weddings. And, you know, uh, people, there was a, a mother who you might recall who had an emergency pregnancy, emergency um, situation there with a pregnancy. She was in New South Wales, Northern New South Wales. The nearest hospital to fly to was one in Brisbane. They were denied and had to go to Sydney and the child died. Now, whether it died because of that delay, we'll never ever know. But these are the sort of heartless things that went on under the guise of keeping us all safe. And it was complete and utter baloney. It wasn't keeping us safe. Just imagine, just imagine, Renee, for one second, a politician getting up and saying, this year, it's my number one mission to keep influenza out of the state. We're going to shut down the borders to stop influenza. Because you know what? Influenza and pneumonia uh, cause about 2,000 or so deaths. Yeah every year normally that's the year on year average from 2014 to 2019 mm -hmm. COVID-19 actually is only claimed just probably actually less in a, it in, is a less. in a single year it's less yeah. um so this was madness and it was madness without a heart uh without a care and in fact those people that were complaining about it were sort of treated as if they were um, some form of traitor to the uh, to the war against COVID-19. But I got to tell you, like, I'm so surprised, um, maybe even actually a little bit sad that we didn't even, that we didn't see more examples of civil disobedience. And I don't say that lightly um, because I tell you what, if my mother or father was dying in a hospital, um, neither the powers of hell itself could stop me uh, from being there at their bedside. I would have found a way into the state and I would have found a way into that hospital. Um, and the only, 
The only thing that would have uh, would have prevented it is being locked up in a jail cell indefinitely. So um, a lot of heartlessness that was on display. Look, you're not the only one. My husband, we were actually planning on, and I can say this now in hindsight, we were actually talking about hiring a car so that we were undetectable. I don't know how we'd do that. but And getting into Victoria somehow by the back way to go and get our daughter out. We, we were trying to think of everything. She's tw- yep. 20 at the time, never been on her own. You know, she lost her job in a cafe because... Uh, this was when all the vaccine mandates first started happening, and and we we weren't comfortable with that. You know, this is this is an experimental medication that we should have the right to choose whether or not that we have it. And this is what I wanted to ask you. You talked a lot about um, this all being in the guise of safety. And the narrative, this is what drives me literally crazy, the narrative constantly changes. So it's gone from two weeks to flatten the curve to, to well, you, actually, you were going to lose your job. And we've got a lot of people in our church who, has, who have lost their jobs because they don't want to get the vaccine. And yet some people are still arguing that it's not to do with our freedoms, that, oh, well, you've still got a choice. Like, so if you don't want to have it, then that's your choice. You're choosing to lose your job. But what do you say to that when you hear people argue that line? Well, I've lost all sense of, of direction when it comes to freedoms and human rights. And, um, you know, I don't want to pull you up, but you said there uh, they've lost their job because they don't want to get a vaccine. They actually haven't lost their job because they don't want to get a vaccine. They've lost their job because the government or their employer says, if you don't have something done, uh, a medical procedure done, then I'm going to take your job away from you. And uh, that is a breach of human rights. It clearly is. Uh, Go and have a look up the International Declaration on Bioethics and Human Rights, and you will see multiple breaches of human rights in that document. Um, in terms of what's happening in Queensland and around Australia with these workplace vaccine mandates. Um, And quite frankly, the show's over. You know, um, people are over COVID. In in the main, there's probably still a small proportion of people that are still hiding under the derna, sucking their thumb. But most people just see that this is ridiculous. It's it's over. Uh, Omicron's come through. Um, People that we know didn't really get sick from it. Some people got it and didn't even know they had it. Um, it's not the boogeyman, it's not the Black Plague. Uh, and I, quite frankly, I think the audience is either walking out or walked out of the theatre. The lights are being dimmed, the curtain's closing, but all of these actors are still on the stage thinking there's going to be another scene played out. Um, well, they've got to get off the stage. And by actors, I mean all the chief health officers and their directions and all of the politicians and bureaucrats that want to continue this facade. It just has got to end. And all of those people who have lost their jobs I've got I've got two words. They need to be reinstated and compensated for their losses. And I tell you what, if they aren't reinstated and compensated, then governments are going to be litigated against. Um, and one day, a government and a private corporation, any private corporation that's done this to their employees, they are going to face the music in court. I'm absolutely certain of that because there is a lack of proportionality, a lack of rationale and a lack of logic behind everything that's happened here. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. So you do think that that will happen? You do think that people are going to face the music and that people who have lost their jobs will get them back? Look, I've got to hold out that hope that our justice system will do exactly what its name suggests, justice, provide justice. And there's been a great sense of injustice 
irrationality, illogicality, if that's a word, and a lack of proportionality when it comes to all of these measures. Um, we know that people who have been vaccinated catch COVID. We know that people who have been vaccinated pass on COVID. We know that people who have been vaccinated go to hospital with COVID. We know that people who have been vaccinated, sadly, die of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they might talk about, oh, well, um, uh, yeah, there's a greater chance if you, uh, you know, haven't been vaccinated. You know what? A person who has been double jabbed, who is allowed to keep their job, who is allowed to go in a bar or a restaurant or a cafe right now, and I'm not because I'm not vaccinated, I've got to tell you, if they've had their double vaccination more than about four to six months ago, there is absolutely no difference, zero difference, in transmissibility and protection uh, between them and I. But we've got some logical system where um, I might have to lose my job if I'm in a particular profession and I'm not allowed in social certain social settings. Mm. Um, it's, it's illogical. Yeah. And I say a court must, must find that this is wrong at some point for there to be true justice done here. Yeah. Well, even my daughter who's studying honours in social work, can't go back on campus because it's UQ um, and cannot finish her prac unless she uploads a vaccine passport. And I'm just bamboozled by that. I'm like, that is her right to education. I have a right as a teacher that I should be able to walk into a classroom and teach. Um, so this is what I think a lot of people maybe get confused about where does our constitution come into this? Like, why doesn't our constitution protect us when as an Australian, we should have the right to education, the right to travel, the right to eat where we want? So our constitution, uh, look, a lot of people think um, of the US constitution and they think of the constitution because we see it in TV shows and on movies all the time. Our constitution doesn't have all the sort of rights built into it that the US constitution has. It does have some rights, but they're very, very limited and uh, worse than being just limited. They're also uh, interpretive um, in that the high court can interpret certain and read certain things into it. So. For instance, there is a clause in the Constitution, going back to the borders issue, which says that there shall be free carriage between the states. Now, um, it actually hasn't been fully tested. I mean, Clive Palmer took the WA government to court over it and lost, but I really don't think that that was a proper test of whether or not that particular clause of the Constitution means that there shall be unfettered movement or that uh, at least the restrictions that are in place are unconstitutional. Um, and there is a protection in the in the Constitution around what they call medical conscription. Um, so medical conscription could form, uh, or oh, sorry, that the, the practice of mandating a vaccine could form medical conscription or could be defined as medical conscription. But the problem is that most of the things in our constitution only relate to the federal government and the federal parliament. They don't relate to the states. And so how are nearly all of these measures being done? They're being done because state governments have uh, emergency powers acts. They've initiated the emergency powers or the state of emergency provisions. So these, these public health acts have come into force as a result. And through the Public Health Act, this public health law, um, the chief health officer is given the authority to um, 
to issue directions and those directions have the force of law. They actually are law. They are regulations that sit under the legislation. And those regulations say that if you're a teacher, if you're a nurse, if you're um, uh, a doctor, if you work in a medical setting, if you work in disability uh, services, um, if you work in hospitality, uh, all that sort of stuff that, 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 that you have to be double vaccinated in order to keep your job. So um, that's how they're doing it. Uh, there's no protection of the constitution for state-based public health orders. Um, but those public health orders, can I just say, they're time limited. So they're supposed to run out on March the 26th. And if they did run out, well, I guess people could rock back up to their employer and say, give me my job back. Um, but guess what? Uh, just this very week, the Queensland government announced it was going to pass new laws, which could continue on their pandemic powers until at least October. And I will have no doubt that when that legislation uh, finally is voted on, there'll probably be provisions in there to extend the emergency even further. Uh, it's just horrid and um, it shouldn't be being done. No, it makes us feel extremely powerless and um, in our own country. You know, my, my grandparents, my family come from Holland. My grandparents lived during World War II. My nana, whose cross I'm actually wearing, she passed mm -hmm. away a few years ago, hid a Jewish woman in her house mm -hmm. um, and would have been shot on site if she had mm -hmm. been found out. And, and so I guess there's this tension between we have to do what the government says but then what about the civil disobedience, you know, and there's that, there's that tension. I heard you say that before about you wish you mm -hmm. saw more civil disobedience. And then, of course, people who are Christians, that comes into play even harder. Um, but what I want to ask you, this is what really confuses a lot of people. If the federal has got no power over the state, how come Scott Morrison bought so many doses of the vaccine? Like I think 200 million all up, if you look at all the different yeah. ones that he bought. How come he bought so many and put them in the hands of the premiers? Why didn't he just try make the states buy their own and then they'd have to... No, well, you're very astute. I mean, um, the, the fact is that the federal government does have some power over the states. I mean, I've heard this before, that they have no power to control what the state governments are doing regarding mandates, and that may be true directly, directly, um, in that the constitutional power is there for state premiers or their governments at least to institute public health orders that amount to mandates, and the federal government doesn't directly have the power to override them. But you're right, the federal government bought the vaccines. The federal government actually owns the Australian immunisation data that tells everyone, private corporations, you, me, um, the state governments, uh, who's vaccinated and who's not. Um, so the federal government had a lot of power within its hands to actually say, before we hand this over to you, you are not allowed to use the data um, to discriminate against Australians. You're not allowed to use the data to sack Australians, or you're not allowed to take these vaccines if you are going to then issue a vaccine passport. That could have been done, but it wasn't done. And so I've got to be honest, uh, I'm quite critical of my own side here in the fact that they haven't acted as I think they probably could have to, uh, to alleviate this burden from us. Of course, governments like, um, I don't want to get political, but it's just true, Labor governments like the one we have in Queensland and 
Daniel mm -hmm. Andrews in Victoria and Mark McGowan in WA and Michael Gunner in the Northern Territory, they have certainly been the ones implementing these uh, horrid discriminatory and, 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 and onerous mandates that um, really are causing so much destruction in terms of uh, people losing their jobs and losing the thing that puts the food on the table, that keeps the roof over their heads and all the rest of it. But, but the federal government, which I'm a part of, I'm sad to say, has, uh, has not lifted the fingers that it could have to actually halt these measures. So I'm going to give a, a slap to both sides. And, you know, I'm, I'm a Liberal National Party member. Yeah. And I can imagine that doesn't go down very well when you're in Parliament. No, no, no it, it doesn't. And look, you know, uh, I've given speeches in Parliament that I 100% stand by, 100% stand by, uh, that have been, you know, misinterpreted uh, uh, deliberately, I've got to tell you, uh, by, by people in the press and by people on the other side of politics. Uh, but sadly, those speeches have been condemned, or one of them at least has been condemned uh, by the parliament, by both sides of parliament. So here as I, I got up and I said certain things uh, about uh, lockdowns not working, uh, about um, mandates not working. And uh, for that, I was condemned, condemned. Just imagine that a representative of the people that's saying what a lot of people are saying gets up in federal parliament and says that and is condemned as if that is if me saying that is some sort of public health problem yeah and i i actually wanted to ask you how do you stay true to your convictions when you get that kind of opposition um because i know just as even as a pastor as well, but also in our role working with young people, mm. that there are so many people suffering and they feel like there's nobody that's speaking up for them. Um, and you are one of them. But when you are getting such opposition, how do you find the inner conviction to, to stay true to what you uh, believe is the right thing to do? Well, uh, I mean, uh, without getting too philosophical, I mean, I... I, I you do get a lot of pressure down there in Canberra. In fact, there's people who um, I've been good friends with in the federal parliament that now hardly even talk to me because of all of this. Uh, so, you know, everyone's copped that over the course of this pandemic. If they've sort of uh, been a bit skeptical of things, uh, yeah. they've had people shun them, and that just shows the, uh, the extent of the um, of the fear-induced psychosis that's gripped society, sadly. Um, but uh, how do I? stay true well i mean i have my beliefs i have my beliefs uh i i firmly believe them and um and and you know uh unless i'm presented with new evidence that's going to turn that round i'm i'm sticking to my beliefs and i've got to tell you i'm not presented with any new evidence apart from evidence that makes me uh, double down on those beliefs um i uh, i should roll in you know the the christian faith there too i guess being grounded in some greater belief system sometimes means that you are rock solid in what you believe unless of course you realize you're wrong um uh through through new evidence so i've got a uh, a bible verse that should come to me but it's not <laughs> uh, but but it's 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 on a plaque um or a little uh, paperweight sort of plaque that's in my office 
and the two big letters from the start of the verse, stand firm, are there, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, and, and um, that's very important. But then you go down to Canberra and you hear all the naysaying against what, you know, you believe. And I come back to the electorate and I've done two days worth of traveling around the electorate, having public meetings and parks and ask people to come along. Any issue they want to raise with me, come along. It could be anything, local road problem, you know, uh, barking dogs, whatever it is. <laughs> There's basically 99% of people who turned up wanted to talk about one thing and one thing only, and that's these vaccine mandates. And yeah. now we're against them, deeply against them. Yeah, even even a lot of people I know who are vaccinated are still against the mandates. And it's funny because I talk a lot about freedom here on my podcast. I talk a lot about how we've made an idol out of safety. Um, and it's funny because I've been labelled the anti-vaxxer. And it's funny because I've never actually said on the podcast outright if I'm vaccinated or not. And I do that on purpose because I'm like, guys, if that's not the conversation, the conversation is that we should be able to choose and that we shouldn't be able to discriminate. And I find it incredible, and I'm sure you do as well, that we can't discriminate against people for their sexuality, their gender identity, their skin colour. But people have completely yeah. accepted that it is completely okay to discriminate yep. against somebody for their medical status. And that literally blows my mind that people cannot see the hypocrisy. Yeah, that's a problem. Yep. And, and um, the hypocrisy runs deep. Uh, <laughs> the same people who argue vehemently in favour of this system where we have to show a pass that tells our personal medical history to someone to get into a venue or to keep a job. They're the same people who rail against the idea of showing just your driver's license to go and vote. Um, you know, uh, so, so this is, is, is craziness. Apparently, it's a terrible thing to have to show ID to walk in to vote, you know? Yeah. Um, because that can be really discriminatory to someone who might not have a license uh, when you can actually get another ID card if you don't have a license. Um, but there's no problems in, in a, another card, a digital card, that actually shows your personal medical data. I mean, it's just very, very wrong, the, the whole thing. And I, I'm actually very disappointed in some people. I'm very disappointed in fellow Australians that actually can't see the problem here. Um, and I, I don't know what's going to make those people snap out of it. I shouldn't be so disappointed in them because uh, to a degree, they have been pumped full of fear. I said at the start of the interview here, uh, the virus with a 0.27% infection fatality rate. That's not my figures, that's figures that were published in the World Health Organization bulletin, uh, which shows uh, basically that if you catch COVID-19, you have a 99.72% chance of surviving it. And I went around and asked people what chance they think that they had of, of dying or of surviving COVID um, if they caught it. And I had people telling me, oh, 60% chance of dying, 40, 20, 25, 10, five. I think the lowest one I got was about two or something like that, which was still off by an inordinate factor. I mean, it's 0.27%, uh, 0.27%. People don't realise that. And when actually they saw the data that I had and saw the proof, uh, well, firstly, they would get angry when I told them the number, thinking that I was lying to them. And then when I showed them the proof, 
they would get angry at everything they heard. And I wished, I wished that I could have gone to every single house in the country with this information and tell them, do you know, know. And, and try and change minds. But um, fear was pumped through the populace. So the result is what we've got. And it's hard to shake people's beliefs once they've become deeply entrenched. Yeah, absolutely. And I won't keep you much longer because I know that you're very busy and you've got a lot to do. Probably go and see your daughter would be one of them. Yes. <laughs> um, but just finally, do you think that these vaccine mandates are going to lift? I know just here in Queensland, we've had a few things lift like masks, not that I've been wearing one because I've had COVID mm. and I'm like, well, I can't get it or pass it on, guys, so I'm not playing the game. Um, do you think mandates will lift or do you think something else is at play here and they're not going to lift? Look, I, I, it's a difficult one to say. I, um, look, if I'm thinking logically and rationally, this whole thing will come to an end. As I said, I think the show's over. People are just still acting out a scene that no one's watching. Um, but there's been a lack of logic and rationality to just about everything that's happened over the last 18 months. So I can't count on that. I can't count on logic and rationality to win the day here. Uh, look, I think that, um, as I said, a court case could bring it undone. If it doesn't, when we've got a problem and we have to wait for the political system to bring it undone, uh, will that ever happen? Um, the truthful answer is I don't know. Um, the hopeful answer is that I think it will. Again, it's relying on a bit of rationality and, and logic here. Uh, but it's also relying on the passage of time, which pretty much brings all things to an end. And again, if I'm thinking rationally and logically, uh, in five years' time, is COVID even going to be a thing? Um, I reckon it won't. But then again, other people say, well, it mightn't, but then there'll be the next thing around the corner. <laughs> and, you know, we've prepped ourselves, sadly, as a nation, as, a, as not just a nation, Western civilization has prepped itself now to accept all sorts of things, um, to accept the government imposing you to wear something on your face that's useless, uh, the government uh, imposing upon you a curfew or a lockdown, uh, the government um, closing down businesses, uh, the government uh, saying that um, you have to have uh, a medical procedure done in order to keep a job or in order to uh, go to certain places that are basically normal sort of social gatherings. Uh, so, so, you know, you get people like Joe Rogan, who's become very popular now, talking about, is this the beginning of a setup of a social credit system? And I got to tell you, it's not far off that. It isn't far off, it really isn't. I mean, we've set up the mechanisms, we've set up the framework that could be deployed again in the future. Um, and, and worse still, we've got the public acceptance and acquiescence to those measures. So it's all in the bag. If someone wanted to do it and had the right timing and the right crisis, they could do it. And you think it won't happen? Um, you know, I could point to the obvious communist China, mm -hmm. um, but people would say, well, that's a dictatorship. Um, let me point over to Canada, where people who are peacefully protesting right now, not even peacefully protesting, People who are providing funds to otherwise peaceful protesters are having their bank accounts cancelled. That's the future under government overreach, privacy invasion, and a, a social credit type system.
you know you must be a conspiracy theorist then george <laughs> that's what people well, say. Yeah, no, they, they, i'm, I'm pretending but... but now now there's this this um you know the difference between a conspiracy theorist and um and a newsreader is six months uh i mean <laughs> it's less. Know, yeah it's getting less and less every day i mean uh, no. i was called a conspiracy theorist when i was saying <laughs> I bet my bottom dollar that this um, that this vaccine escaped from a lab, and I was being called a conspiracy theorist for that. It's one hundred percent right. Um, you know, nearly everyone believes that it escaped from a lab in China now. Um, or well, maybe it didn't escape. Maybe it was <laughs> let loose from a lab. We will never ever know. Um, but but you know, I was also saying I think there's going to be a vaccine mandate system before. It was brought in and I was warning people and now people saying, oh, that's crazy at the time. That's happened. So there's many things during the course of this pandemic that people have been saying, well, I'm reading the tea leaves here and I'm seeing something very disturbing. Uh, people have called them crackers for saying that. And then there's something very disturbing has not just happened, but it's happened writ large, even worse than what we imagined. I, honestly, if you had said to me, um, George, before this pandemic's over, you're going to have vaccine passports. You're going to have people sacked from jobs because they didn't take a vaccine. You're going to have people restricted from uh, places in society for not taking a vaccine. You're going to have uh, curfews imposed on people. You're going to have buildings locked down. You're going to have people stopped from leaving the country, people stopped from re-entering the country. Uh, you're going to have mask mandates, even after the fact that they've been proven to actually not work in force with uh, you know penalty of, of, a, of a fine if you don't wear them. Uh, all of this stuff I would not have envisaged would 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 be in place, but it has been. So we've been through a roller coaster. You, you're exactly right, and I really I don't like roller coasters. <laughs> so I hope it's coming to an end. Um, George, how can we support you? People who are listening, how can we follow you? Where can we find you? And how we can we support you? Because I think that's one of the best ways for people going. What can I do? Let's support people like George who are doing the work for us. Yeah, thanks, Renee. Look, I, I, I obviously don't need political sport because I'm not running again. But uh, look, I think that information is the most powerful thing uh, going into the future. If people want to keep up to date with stuff that I'm finding out and I'm talking about, uh, all of my socials are listed on my Substack newsletter page, which is nationfirst.substack.com. You'll find, again, all of the socials listed there, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Parler, Rumble, Gab, uh, Telegram, uh, Getter. I think I'm, I'm on just about all of those ones and probably more. You can't be shut down on all of those. <laughs> uh, you've got to spread yourself out. So if they shut you down on one, you uh, keep going on another. Exactly. Um, George, from the bottom of my heart, and, and I know my husband would agree with me and all of the people that I know um, who follow you are really, really grateful. And we we just continue to pray strength for you. And, um, and I know that it must be difficult at times, but just thank you for everything that you do and for joining me today, for making the time in your really busy schedule. Um, I really wanted to say thanks. Well, thank you very much, Renee, and God bless you and God bless your husband and family and all your listeners and viewers. Thank you.